Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. In the 21st century, parenting looks very different to what it did a century ago, where families usually remained nuclear, whether or not it was best for those involved. Today, thankfully, we have a more modern view on what parenting looks like, embracing the idea that the key to successful parenting lies less in the state of the relationship, but more in the quality of that relationship. Whether you're divorced, separated, or never married in the first place, it's how you operate as a team with each other, bringing up your children that counts. But while we recognise the importance of co-parenting, it's not always easy to work out how that's going to work on a practical level. It's complicated to start with. And when you add in the shock and emotions of that inevitably, that inevitably accompany the breakdown of a relationship, many couples wonder whether they will ever be able to work as a team again. With me today, I have Chris Mills, a psychotherapist and family consultant who's dedicated his career to supporting parents in working out how they can work collaboratively in raising their children after divorce and separation. Chris, thank you so much for coming here today. Thank you for asking me. So what do you find are the sort of uh, biggest challenges that parents whose relationship has changed, the the state of that relationship has changed, um, face in terms of navigating how their roles as as a couple, as parents still to those children, are going to work after a separation or divorce? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, one of the things is the thing that you've just said about teamwork. But the other thing that's going through my head is kind of, ah, which is like a concertina, which is the... I think the emotional state that a lot of people find themselves in when their when their marriage or when their relationship is over and they can't conceive of any kind of future that's stable or is going to work and and how they're going to parent their children is somewhere in the mess to begin with it's somewhere in the chaos. Uh, I mean, I think what you said is absolutely right, that the idea is to get from that point to being able to conceive of yourselves as a team. And of course, actually, if the marriage has broken down, it's quite possible that you haven't really worked as a team in any sense for quite a long time anyway. So one of my starting points, and this doesn't always go down very well with parents, or not to begin with anyway, is to be really, really clear with them that when they talk about their relationship finishing... I actually say to them, no, your relationship has not finished. Your relationship has fundamentally changed in the form it takes. It's no longer what it was when it started. What it now is, is a a partnership. It's a bit like a kind of business partnership in which the two of you are absolutely devoted to raising your children because those children, those precious children you brought into the world, that's, that's your duty. That's the nature of your relationship now. And for some people, I think that's quite it's quite aspirational because it enables them to kind of 
clear some of the emotional junk out of the way and think, okay, that's the aim. You know, that's the aim, even if it seems a long way away, that's the aim. And of course, there are others who will say, well, I can do it, but he can't or she can't. You know, you get back into that again. So it's a bit sort of two steps forward and three back, but that's part of the process. Yeah, and it makes absolute sense that your relationship hasn't changed, but we do think of divorce and separation as the end of a relationship. I was listening to something recently and they were saying, we shouldn't really mourn the end of relationships like we so often do, because actually everything ends. I mean, he was talking about how, you know, you don't mourn the end of a good book or a good film. You celebrate having had that experience and then sort of get excited about moving on. And I know that's easier said than done, but I suppose if you can maybe think about the end of a relationship as not as a failure but just a different you know you're passing into a different era that might potentially help I think it's I think you're right and I do agree with that but but I do think there's a sequence and I think I think I'm not sure that I agree with you that that you don't mourn the end of a relationship or a good movie or a good book. I think actually, ideally what you do, or perhaps I'm just speaking about myself, I don't know, is that I mourn and then I celebrate. And I can't celebrate until I've mourned. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah. think with with marriages that break down, there is an awful lot of that. So, you know, if I if I see um, an ex-couple for the first meeting and I say, you know, this is not a failure, they're just going to look at me as if I'm bonkers because they are so full of feelings of shame and failure and whatever else that I might as well be saying that to a brick wall. It's more likely to be a few weeks, a few sessions, a few months down the line that I might say to somebody, I really notice that you're very stuck on the idea of this being your failure. Mm-hmm. And then I might be a little bit more specific with them and say, in what ways do you think you've actually failed? You know, you stayed together for all these years. You did this, you did this, you had these lovely kids. And then some. sometimes people will get to the point when they realise that the failure actually would have been to have stayed together. Mm, absolutely. But you have to be, I think, to do this work, uh, you have to have a long fuse and you have to be very patient and you have to... To, to bear a lot of frustration of moving forward, moving backwards, moving forwards, moving backwards, because I think that that's what it involves. And I think if you can do that with clients who are going through this kind of crazy situation, if you can demonstrate that you can do that, that you're not going to artificially try and push them forward before they're ready, um, they'll stay with you and they'll do well. Because... When you have separated or divorced, you've still got a really important job to do, which is still to continue to bring up your children. Yes. And that is, I mean, it's the most important job we as parents do. Yes. And often, you know, the marriage means that you've had children or that's that's the reason why you've had children. Um, so it's still like your most important task is still there. In fact, it's even more important to get it right because your children might be feeling very vulnerable because the state of their parents' relationship has changed and they don't know what lies ahead. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I think one of the the I, I I think most parents do get that you know they do understand that their role as 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 a parent is still really important I mean that's big picture there are some people who actually feel so much that they have failed that, that you know because their marriage is over they themselves individually have failed that they can in some cases not see themselves as a fit parent either I mean, that's relatively rare and it's quite difficult to deal with. But for the most part, I think what you're saying is true. People know that they have this enormously difficult and responsible task to to do. And um, again, in the heat of the moment when the marriage has broken down, 
you can get all kinds of polarizing going on. Well, I can do it, but you won't be able to. How can anybody trust you after what you've done? You know, so it can be really difficult in all kinds of ways. That's just one small example. It can be really difficult in all kinds of ways for the parents to separate their own emotional maelstrom from what they imagine is going on for the kids. Of course, that's very difficult for the kids because what they need is for their parents to be working incredibly hard to try and identify with what's going on for them. And it's, I mean, I'm not being critical. That is genuinely difficult for mm. adults mm. who are going through hell. It's a really difficult thing to do. And presumably you need a degree of honesty with your children. I mean, you can't pretend it's all fine and pretend you're really happy if you're not, if you're really... I mean, what? how honest should you be with children about your feelings towards your partner? Well, you know, I always recommend that people should get advice with this because I don't think it's something that any of us know at the point where it hits us. Why would we? Honesty, I think, is hugely important. But I think it's also very important not to tell children more than they need to know. Um, so if your marriage has broken down or if your marriage is breaking down, there's no point pretending to your kids that you're happy about that or that you're not struggling with it. What they need to know is that in spite of all of that, you're coping and you are going to continue to be able to take care of them. Mm that one of those things is not conditional on the other. That's really, really important. And the other thing which everybody says, and it's because it's so true, is that um, your kids need to know that it's not their fault. Um, because interestingly, a lot of children will wonder if only I'd been better, if only I hadn't, you know, shouted, if only I hadn't been sick in the back of the car, maybe mum and dad would still be together, irrationally, because they, they go into kind of saviour mode. They want to try and save this difficult situation. It's very, very important that they know that it's not their fault and that whatever happens, they are going to continue to be loved and cared for. By both parents? By both parents, yes. And of course, for some individual parents, that's a tricky one because they don't necessarily believe that that's true of the other parent. And in some cases, they're right. You know, some parents disappear. Mm. Some parents do kind of vanish. Um, and others at the other extreme will fight and fight and fight over the terms of the parenting arrangement in a way that is not really about the children. It's about treating the children as if they're, you know, granny's sideboard that, that that they're a piece of property that has to be squabbled over that doesn't make kids feel loved at all yeah well it's a power play isn't it it's a, it, than... yes well it is it's a power play and and it's a it's you know it's a sign often of deep 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 insecurity um, and obviously one of the things that needs to be thought about at an early stage is, is practically how it's going to work because when you go from being married and being a sort of partnership to parenting co-parenting you know, you, people, I guess, have to decide the practical stuff. How often is everyone going to see the children? Where are they going yeah. to live? So, I mean, that's what you refer to as a parenting plan. And yes. the idea that yeah. parents need to presumably quite early on work out how that's going to look. Yes. How do yes. parents go about that? How, where would you start? Well, of course, the only ones I see are the ones who are struggling with it. So, <laughs> I mean, there might be some who are brilliant at it who I never get to meet. So if you're out there, I'd love to, um, I'd love to find out who you are. And um, others will 
be very dedicated to the idea of doing it well, but really won't quite know how to start. And I think when people come to see a family lawyer, which of course I'm not, but I work alongside family lawyers a lot, so I'm very used to this happening. When they come and see a family lawyer, they will tend to take the line of what am I entitled to? You know, I, I'm the children's mother, what am I entitled to? Or I'm the children's father, does that mean I won't get ever to see them? You know, there, there, there's a lot of anxiety in those very early kind of what am I entitled to kind of questions. And how prescriptive is the law in those, you know, does it, is it very prescriptive or is, does it very much depend on the oh, I mean, the, the law would dearly love to really not have anything to do with any of this because there's nothing legal about it, really. I mean, the law has a kind of moral role to safeguard the welfare of the children. But um, it basically what the law wants is for parents to come to a, a whole series of decisions about how their children are going to be taken care of, which, when the judge takes a look at it, looks fine. So there are parameters that you know, will make it look fine or will make it not look so fine and a different judge might take a different view. But basically what um, what... The, the family law profession wants is as far as possible for people to be able to arrive at these decisions for themselves. So an interesting example of that, which I've come across on a lot of occasions, and which I, I mean, this is something that I would describe as broad brush, because I have my, you know, I have a kind of big map in my head of what I think children need or don't need in these kind of situations. But I have to be willing to adjust where those things are on my big map according to different people's preferences. So this this is an illustration of the point. I mean, I know from my own experience as a step-parent that, that children on the whole just don't like having two homes. It's a pain. I mean, you know, if, if for us as adults, if, we've, if we're lucky enough to have a holiday home up the coast somewhere, it's great because it's a holiday home. We go there for holidays and for the rest of the time we live at home. We all live at home and it's easy. If you can imagine what it would be like if you had two homes and you were going backwards and forwards between them the whole time, it would when drive you When you were told you to as opposed to when you wanted to. When you were told to as opposed to precisely. It would drive you crazy. Um, so, you know, I think in most cases... Most children want to know where home is. And on the whole, they will tend to see the home that they were living in up to the point where the marriage broke up as home and the other place as dad's place or mum's place, you know, whichever parent kind of moved out if the family home wasn't sold. Now, that itself can cause huge ructions with insecure parents because, you know, you'll get parents who will say, well, I, I want you to call my place home as well. This is your home, too. And the kids kind of go, oh, yeah, OK. But actually, it's not. They see home as home. And that's not because they don't have equal loyalty to both parents. It's not because of that at all. They're not trying to play one parent down against the other. It's just that it's completely inconvenient, you know, to have two different homes. So I've worked with parents where they've finished up having a kind of four days here, three days there, this weekend with mum, that weekend with dad kind of arrangement, shared Christmases, shared holidays. It's often very tortuous stuff. But, you know, when you get to a point of agreement, it's, it's usually a great relief for everybody. And I've generally held the view that if you've got a 50-50 thing, it's really tricky for kids because they really don't have a home then. They really are in one place literally for 50% of the time and in the other place. You know, th th where do they call home? Um, but 
I've also known situations where 50-50 has been the decision that the parents have made and it appears to have worked okay. And the reason I think it works okay is that children will accommodate it because they don't want to make a bad situation worse. They don't want to, you know, put too much of their pennyworth in and get their parents arguing again. They would rather quietly put up with the inconvenience than, than make a fuss about it. Now, we could all make our own decision about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. And, I, you know, I wouldn't proffer a view on that, mm. really. But what I'm saying, really, is that as the big map moves into the specific map there is a point at which you know I as a family consultant am not very prescriptive you know I will say to people it's got to be up to you mm. I've told you what I think I've told you what my concerns are over to you how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Have you ever heard about the situation? I was reading about this the other day where instead of one parent having the family home, that it's still the family home and the parents move rather than the children move in and out so the children are there based the whole time and when it's dad's time he's there and when it's mum's time she's there and they will have their things there but they're not there together mm. I have heard of that and to be honest I don't know how you know again if you were asking me how successful do I think that is I would guess that in some cases it could be and in some it wouldn't be depending on the family and the way it's kind of brokered uh, one of the th- I mean, instinctively, one of the things that I think is slightly tricky about that is when parents separate, I think it's very important that their children learn what separation means. I'm slightly, it sounds as if I'm not answering your question, but I'm just kind of expanding the range of it a bit. So, for example, parents who've split up will sometimes think, yeah, but we'll get together on Christmas Day. And then they think I'm, you know, a real killjoy when I kind of suggest that I don't think that's a very good idea. And they go, well, why not? You know, family can get together on Christmas Day. We'll do Christmas like we always did. And I say to them, well, if your kids think you can get together on Christmas Day and it's going to be great, they're going to wonder why you can't do it on Boxing Day and on the 27th and the 28th and thereafter. It's really important that they know what 
separation means. You know, so they know that the parents don't want to live together anymore, but they know the parents get on well enough to do the co-parenting job. And I think my slight concern about the kids staying in the house and the par- the parents kind of moving out and moving back in again is that it could just continually excite that hope in the kids that, that you know, maybe the parents will hang out together. And that's what that's always basically the children's dream that they do get back I think it is to begin with and I think it remains that until they know that it's not going to be that anymore and I think for some children that can take a very long time and that's why I think there's something quite sort of I don't know you know you could say cruel to be kind or a bit brutal about how important it is to indicate to children very early on that this is what it means and that they their deepest wish is going to be disappointed Mm. And I think it's difficult for parents to do that because they don't want their children to hurt and they don't want their children to be angry. Maybe their children need to be a bit hurt and a bit angry in order to, it's a bit like what I was saying a few minutes ago, maybe you need to mourn and go through all the stages of that before you can get to the next bit, which is, okay, this is the new life. Mm. Um, And... uh, Parents don't want their kids to be angry with yeah, them. It's the most painful thing in the world. It I is. mean, even if you see a sort of another child being slightly mean to your child, your instinct yes. is to sort of pile in there and say, "No, no, you can't do that." But yes. actually, a little bit of meanness isn't a bad thing because it builds that resilience. Yeah. If you don't present your child, you know, if you don't, uh, if they don't have any negative situations, yes. they never learn how to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another example of that too, Marina, which I think is an interesting one, which a lot of parents miss. Because a lot of parents feel really guilty when their marriage is split up and they feel like they need to compensate their kids. So they will sometimes say to their kids, you know, what a parent will say, say, say to her children maybe, so, so um, what is it you want? What, what can I get for you? What do you want? What do you want? And I suspect that a lot of children really resent that question because they're thinking, I already can't have what I want You've already taken away from me what I most want is that you guys would have stayed together. So stop pretending. And of course, most kids will not say that, but that's what they feel in that situation. And they might not even recognise that that's what they're feeling. But they would never put it in. They're not exactly. sophisticated enough to put it into those words. Exactly. I'm kind of, I'm kind of mm. you know, paraphrasing mm. on behalf of children. Mm. But what they would get instead of knowing that that's what they want to say is that kind of hot, claggy feeling of pent-up emotion. Mm. That, that that is where those words would be mm. you know if they were free to say them do you think it's very common once this you know once the sort of basic parameters have been put in place where, how often you see each parent that there is a danger that when the parents have the children they spoil them they they sort of don't put down those boundaries um and they potentially feel that because their time is limited with their children that every moment has to be amazing we're going to do great things this weekend and I'm a great believer that normal time, boring stuff together is actually really important. You know, you don't want to spend your life going on amazing holidays. Sometimes just having a cosy day yes. at home yeah. in the rain is actually one of those nicest days of those years. Do you feel that that's something that, that parents sort of feel that, you know, tumbling into that trap? I do. I mean, I, I've seen it happen in, in various different forms. I mean, the two there are two things that immediately spring to mind in response to your question. Um, 
Now, this is a bit of a generalisation, so, you know, and it sounds a bit sexist, but you'll have to forgive me for this. For example, in some situations where, let's say you've had a dad who has been the main breadwinner, so he's been out of the home a lot, earning the money for the family, and the mum has been doing the lion's share of the caring of the kids. What can tend to happen after a divorce is that the time that's spent with dad is all going out to restaurants and going out and doing exciting things and going from one adventure to the next because dad isn't really very experienced at doing any of the boring stuff. And it's easier for him to throw money at having just a great time. And and mum is the one at home who's kind of, you know, doing all the washing and checking up on the homework. I mean, it could be, you know, when I say I'm being, I don't mean to be too gendered about it, but that's just one example. And of course, it could be the other way around. So it can be that it falls to one of the parents to do all the dull stuff, who usually feels very resentful about the other parent doing all the exciting stuff. But I totally agree with you. The ordinary stuff is is so important. I, I also remember a case uh, I was working with a few years ago where, after the financial settlement was made, um, the, 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 the father in this case continued to be an extremely high earner. And the mum just didn't have so much money. So the dad was taking the kids off on these hugely exotic sort of global holidays. And um, the mum was just feeling so guilty because she was taking them camping with another family down in Cornwall. And it rained for two weeks. And... It took her a very long time to realise, it was only when one of her daughters said to her that she actually much preferred those camping holidays in Cornwall. They were just way more fun. And it was what you said, actually. They were more relaxing. They were just more laid back. They were less pressured. And children also, they're the most honest amongst us. You know, they're not seduced by, you know, golden taps and, you know, five stars. They want their parents or whoever their carers are to be happy and relaxed. That's what basically makes a happy holiday. And if that's in a dripping tent or, you know, in Dubai in a sort of golden resort, then, you know, you can be in paradise, but if you're not with the right people in the right environment then it can be hell and, and of course actually too thinking specifically of holidays sometimes um, if you've got a parent who is the main child carer and he or she is feeling pretty bereft and struggling you know life is hard it makes a great deal of good sense to go on holiday with another family who've got kids of the same age where your kids are friends with theirs because because your kids then will see you being able to just kick back a bit and relax a bit, which will make them enjoy themselves more without feeling guilty that you're struggling. You know, so it's a win-win in that sense. And if that's in a damp tent in Cornwall, fine. Mm. It's absolutely fine. That makes so much sense. I know, I mean, I am a mother who spends a lot of time alone because my husband travels a lot. And I really crave adult company on you know I would as much as I love being with my kids I'd really struggle to go on holiday with just them for a week because you know I'm not having any adult conversations with them I have great conversations with Mm -hmm. them so I absolutely see that so that's a that's a great tip and it makes absolute sense Mm -hmm. now obviously you know you can often get a parenting plan in place and then things change new partners come into the mix and that is presumably another very emotional time yes so presumably these parenting plans have to be a bit flexible 
to allow for people's lives to move on. Um, but do you find that when someone has a new partner on the scene and then that new partner potentially is starting to have contact with the children, that's another time when um, it can be quite challenging to work out how it all works between you? Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I think picking up on your point about the flexibility of parenting plans, this is something else that um, is... I was going to say a struggle. Maybe that's too strong a word, but it's it's something it's something that I work with parents on, which I think runs counter to what their anxiety tells them they should be doing, which is that kind of. So how's it going to be? What's it going to be? I need it set in stone. I need to know. And and what I always say, and the parenting plan that I designed for for parents accommodates is what I always say to parents is, look, your your parenting plan initially, I would recommend that you it's an experiment and you try it for three months. And you all know that you're trying it for three months, including your kids. They know you're trying it for three months, too. It's it's the best that you can come up with under the circumstances. And your children know that it's going to be reviewed after three months. And their opinion is going to be asked as well about how it's going for them. That doesn't necessarily mean that their opinion will mean it changes, but that actually, if you you know, if you put a parenting plan in place as if it's as if it's kind of a tablet of stone, it's ridiculous because, as you and I both know, circumstances change all the time. So I think if parents can get used to doing that right from the start, they try something, they watch what's going on, they give each other feedback, they get feedback from their kids at the end of a whatever twelve week period, whatever it is, and they tweak what needs tweaking. Hopefully, ideally, by the time new partners are on the scene, there will be a kind of culture in the new family which helps to accommodate that potentially very big change. And you're right, it is a very, it is a very, very big change. And what I believe is that that change, again, needs to be negotiated between the parents. So, you know, if dad has a new girlfriend... And he wants the kids to to meet the girlfriend. I think he and mum need to negotiate when and how that happens, so that the kids know that. So, for example, if 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 dad is going to invite his new girlfriend round for dinner when the kids are with him, it's awful if the kids think that mum doesn't know about that. Whereas if mum does know and is okay with it, or is certainly pretending to be okay with it you know it it has her blessing as it were then they'll be fine with that but they don't want to they, they don't want to be in any situation where they feel their loyalty is being split or where they're being kind of partitioned off by one parent i mean obviously emotions are really high one of the yes. things you mentioned to me before was actually having somewhere or someone or somehow that you can have a real rant and so that that's not your children because you know invariably I, I would be that person if if my husband had a new girlfriend I would want yeah. to scream and shout and rip her to shreds yes but it's really important that that's not done in front of the children that your children aren't your pounding block it, it so is I mean and I I would just so encourage parents who are going through those kind of feelings not to feel that they're a failure for having those feelings I think it's the most normal thing in the world but you you need to decide where you're going to express those feelings and express them you do need to I mean I you know I'm not for bottling up I don't think that's a good idea at all but it's there are so many good professionals that you can go and see now and you can sit with them for an hour and you can pretty much spit at the wall if that's what you want to do you'll have to pay for it but you know (laughs) it's worth it it's worth it so that your anger your irrational ranting which serves a real purpose it is a kind of mourning it's a part you know it's part of the grieving process 
um, doesn't get put where it doesn't really belong. Because the truth is, and, you know, anybody who's going through a divorce at the moment may not thank me for saying this, but, you know, the truth is the, your, your, you know, your ex-husband's new girlfriend might well become a highly significant figure in your children's lives and might even become loved by them. She's mm. never going to replace you because they don't need another mum. But she might become really important to them. And if she does, she then is really important in the extended family life. She becomes a key figure. And as you indicated, the idea of that can really turn people's stomachs to begin with. They don't want to have to look at that. And it's natural to feel yeah. let down in that situation. I mean, you would be human not, you wouldn't be human Absolutely. if you didn't feel that. Yeah, that's true. And I suppose, you know, in a way that if your children do see you a little bit upset, you can say, listen, I don't feel I want to like her, but that doesn't mean yeah. I, I will never like her. And signaling to them that it's okay that they, if they do like her or mm. him or whoever it is. Mm. Uh, yes, I, it, it takes me back actually to, I'm a step parent. And when I was first um, in the very early days when I was getting to know my stepsons, um, we played it very carefully. And I, I you know, I, I, I met them briefly with my wife and I hung out with them for a couple of hours and then I left so that they could all talk about me if they wanted to. And that happened for a few times. And my younger stepson, um, he, he won't remember this, but he apparently said to his mum, he, he said, I like Chris the person, but I don't like who he is. Which I think is a very, very articulate way of describing what a lot of children would feel in that situation. And in be, other words, I don't like yeah. the place he occupies yeah. in your life, yeah. but I actually like him. And to be assured that that's okay. And that, that yeah. And that's yeah. totally reasonable. Yes, yes, yeah. And it's actually a very reassuring thing to hear. Yes, <laughs> too, for, yes. For both sides. Yes, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. obviously there needs to be sort of agreement, presumably. I mean, I hear this with friends that, you know, people say you're not to introduce your new girlfriend unless you've been seeing them for... A year. I mean, is that something that's sort of outlined before potentially new partners are on the scene? Is that something that's worth talking about or is it potentially definitely. just too raw? No, I think it's definitely worth talking about it because you don't want to. I mean, I think one of the one of the, the, the fundamental aims of co-parenting after your divorce is that, I mean, I think there are two things, really. I mean, I think, you know, if when you get divorced... In the vast majority of cases, your children will go through a period of real shock and disturbance. It's your job to help them recover from that. And, and if you do it well, they will. And if you don't do it well, they will continually be re-traumatised by things. So one of the things that could easily re-traumatise them would be, um, you know, if after a while mum has a new boyfriend and they quite like him, and, you know, it feels a bit more like a family when he's around, so that's nice. And then he disappears, just when they've started to get slightly attached to him. And then another one appears, and they don't want to get attached to him, even though he seems quite nice as well. It's just a constant insecure barrage that they're having to deal with. So I think, you know, after you get divorced, it's a very good idea, if you're going to get into a new relationship... To just do that privately for a really decent length of time until you're sure that this one is a runner. Because I think when that moment comes, you will begin to think, I'd really like my kids to meet this person. And I think it's really worth waiting until that happens because your kids don't need to meet your new partner. They don't need to have instant access to your private life. 
mm. from the start. They don't need. And that. then okaying it with your ex and sort of talking that through and saying, "These, this is my plan. I'd really like to introduce my chil- the children to my new person," and yes. just making sure. How important? I mean, how important do you think it is for the exes, to, as in the ex partner, to meet the new? partner or do you think sometimes it's quite good just to keep them quite separate I mean I suppose it's very individual isn't it I think it is individual I mean I think it's a question of preference and there will be some people who will say you know I want to see him I want to see her Um, they will have already stalked them on social media well they might well have done (laughs) they might well have done yes I guess they might well have done and and there'll be others who at the other end of the scale will say I never want to lay eyes on that person you know um usually at some point they they do meet and it's usually quite an eye-opener and I I think there's a point where it can be very useful to realise that you know your ex-husband's new partner does not have horns and Mm. is quite kind Mm. and feeds your children well and plays with them and has a joke with them Mm. and you know that's that's again an enormous adjustment but ultimately if you're devoted to being a good parent then you want other good adults around your children Mm. and it takes time yeah but a lot of people really do get there. A lot of people really, really do get there. I think that's the thing that a lot of newly divorced parents find very difficult to believe, that a few years down the line, things can be very easy and smooth and friendly. And that's because our emotions, you know, when we experience heartbreak, you know, you know when you first have your heart broken, yes. when you're in your teens, yes. you think you'll never love again. No. <laughs> And yet you do, you know, that's a really insignificant thing when you look back on your life. And, and I suppose, you know, yeah. hoping that the same principles do apply when it comes to the heartbreak after divorce. Well, we're, we're hardwired to trust, I think, aren't we? And I think that's why even after our hearts are broken when we're teenagers, we sort of in a funny kind of way keep coming back for more because we kind of trust that it will get better next time. And that's what kids do. They will keep trying and keep trying and they will keep making allowances for their parents. But I think as parents, we have a responsibility to try not to make them have to do that, really, if Mm. we can avoid it. Mm. We will make mistakes. We will get things wrong. And I think if we apologise for those as they happen, that also makes it much easier for kids. What I've learned through doing this podcast is that communication is sort of the key to any successful relationship. How important is it to keep on checking in with your children and finding out how they are finding this whole new way of parenting and initiating a conversation with them? And and how much do you involve them in this whole procedure? I mean, there are obviously certain parts that they shouldn't be involved with. But when you're looking at how essentially their life is going to look, do you involve them at an early stage? Or do you present them with a sort of fait accompli or near, near fait accompli and, and then say, what do you think? I think, it, I think it's very much about stages, as you're implying. So if we're looking at the absolutely initial stage, this is something that I I do a lot of work with with parents over parents will come to me and they'll say first of all how do we tell our children that we're splitting up and then what do we tell them next and one of the things you know people might disagree with me about this but one of the things that I've always really stuck very closely to with with parents who are splitting up is tell your children what's happening when you know what's happening so uh, you know this can sound a bit hammy really but but I think it's quite helpful to be able to say to kids, you know, um, dad is going to be moving out on Friday. He's going to be moving into his new place on Saturday morning. You're going to be having a look at it on Saturday afternoon so you can see your bedrooms. Because I think that structure holds children with 
a vision of the future which just isn't a black hole that they're about to fall down. What it also shows is that however upset their parents might be about what's going on in their lives, their parents can still think, they can plan, they can still work things out, and it implies that the parents have planned things together. So getting that in place right at the start, very difficult, but very important. And there are some people who, with a bit of help, do it brilliantly. And, and the second bit of your question, or in terms of the later stage, I think it really kind of helps that later stage because what I then encourage parents to do is to say things to their kids like, um, Dad and I have been talking and we've decided that actually you're not old enough yet to go to school on the bus on your own. Sorry. Mm. So they don't actually get to see the conversation that mum had with dad or that dad had with dad or mum had with mum or whatever. But they hear that it happened. So the message it gives them is that out of your earshot, we talk about you and we make decisions about you. Um, And, you you know, dad and I have been talking and we've decided that you're always going to do your French homework when you're with him because he's just so much better at helping you than I am. Those kind of things just assure children that they they are the subject of their parents' discussions still. Now, where that really works is that if there's something um, then that, that they don't like that's happening in the other parent's house, the parent that they tell can immediately say, well, have you told mum? Have you told mum that? Well, I think you should. Well, I think mum needs to know. I think you ought to tell her. Oh, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, because she'll be really upset. She'll be... No, she won't. She'll be fine with it. You just, you just be careful about how you tell her. Oh, I can't, I can't. Can you tell her? Well, OK, I will. But, you know, I think it might be better if you did. But if you really don't want to, then I will. And I suppose... That's it... how... Do you see yeah. how... So, because, because the kid knows that the parents talk to mm-hmm. each other, they're not going to be nearly so frightened about feeling like they're sort of telling tales out of school or putting their foot in it if they then bring a worry or a concern to one of the parents. And equally, if the parents do regularly check in, it's not going to be nearly so inflammatory for the parents if one phones the other up and says, you know, Fred was telling me that he's a bit worried about what's happening on Sunday afternoons and blah, 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 blah. Can, do you mind just keeping an eye on him? Check it out. I've told him that you will. Mm. And again, that, that, that's that sense of, you know, the tent pegs are still in place, even though it's not quite the same tent anymore. And, you know, I suppose what it's ultimately the message that's giving to the children is you're still, you children are what we care about the most. That's right. That's our job. That's yeah. what we do. That we, you know, and even the sort of the scenario of dad's moving out and this is where he's going to be living, it shows that they're planning, that they yeah. are organizing, that they are looking after their children. And mm. that is the most reassuring thing a child can hear, can't yes. it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Because of that survival instinct that, you know, children are born with, we mm. wouldn't survive without our parents. That's why they're constantly wanting our attention. Yes. It's a sort of yes. hangover of the, the times when, you know, the child that would survive was the child that had the most attention from its, its yeah. parents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, th- the thing about what, what parents tell their children, I think, is, is always very, very vexed because at the point where, where parents tell their children that they're separating, often the parents themselves are deeply upset. Um, and I always recommend that they do it together. And I will also actually recommend that they do it with all their children, even if their children's ages are quite varied, because I think it can be quite... Um, anxiety provoking for children to wonder what the other child was told 
or if it's only one parent that's telling them what they would be told by the other parent if the other parent were there. And I think it's quite helpful as an absolute starting point if both parents are present for them both to be able to say, you know, we don't love each other anymore in the way that means that we want to stay living together anymore. So that means that a lot of things are going to change and we want to tell you what those things are. But we are still going to be your parents and we do still love you and we're both still going to take care of you. I mean, that's a huge message for a lot of children. It doesn't immediately make any kind of sense at all. And sometimes children have very difficult questions. And and what I usually recommend is that if children have got difficult questions, try and answer them. Because I think children will not ask questions that they're not ready to hear the answers to on the whole. So it's important not to burden them with information they don't need. Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes if they say, well, why, why don't you love daddy anymore? Why? why? Uh, it's worth at least trying to come up with an answer that doesn't sound defensive and terrified. Yeah. You know, well, we thought we did love each other and I thought I really did love Daddy, but, you know, we find that we argue a lot and there's an awful lot of things that we don't agree about. And, you know, th there are ways of answering those kind of questions, even if the kids aren't really listening. And us parents, I mean, we don't always get it right all the time. We no. always sort of make mistakes. And there are mm. going to be times when you say something as a parent and you say, oh, you're bloody father he's just so annoying and you sort of let rip and then you think afterwards I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't mm. have said that in front of the children what do you do in those situations you say sorry uh, and you say I shouldn't have said that in front of you um you don't I don't think you deny that that's what you feel because the kids know that that's what you feel anyway but I think it's very reassuring for them to for if, if you say to them you know I do feel really cross with daddy at the moment but you really don't need to hear that because he's your daddy mm. you know that's not really for your ears and I'm sorry that you know you had to hear that uh, I think that's very reassuring for them I'm always surprised at how anxious children are around hurting their parents you know yes. they are very aware when we're hurting mm. and very often they don't ask questions or say things because they think it might hurt us but obviously it's very important for them to be able to display their emotions to describe them um do you think there is i mean is it potentially better for them to have access to someone else who they could maybe talk to about their feelings and about you know even that sort of question of actually i do really like mommy's new boyfriend but that's very difficult to mm. say to their father. Mm. I think there is probably many, many, many cases where it would be wonderful if kids could have access to somebody else to talk to about those things. And I think the thing that's most likely to access that for them is the parent who realises it and who realises how important that is. I mean, most when I'm working with with parents... In the vast majority of cases, you know, I'll say to parents, I have a kind of perspective on this. Do you want me to share my perspective with you or not? And they nearly always say, oh, yes, 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 yes. We really want to know what you think. In, in only a couple of cases, I've had parents who've been really furious with me and have said, you can't tell me about my children. You can't tell me how to parent my children, which, of course, in one sense is true. But I think the problem is that when, when parents are going through divorces, we very often don't know what our children are feeling for exactly the reason that you gave they're aware that we're hurting and they don't want to do anything that's going to make it worse and if they see the conflict that we're in with their other parent as being one of the main kind of problems here 
they definitely don't want to be a source of that conflict themselves. So what I think children can sometimes do, you know, they're not doing this consciously, they're not thinking about it, is they kind of rigidify emotionally. They just kind of go, they become kind of automata. They do their schoolwork. Very often they rely on school because it becomes a real point of safety, maybe a bit more than home. And they just kind of try and keep their heads down and and not make any kind of fuss about anything for a while. And the great danger there is that parents will think, well, at least the kids are okay. Mm. So do you think it's worth a parent maybe approaching another adult that their children are close to if it's a friend of a one of their friends if it's a parent of one of their friends or maybe an aunt or or even if you're someone and your friend is going through a divorce that you maybe offer to them and say listen why don't I take your child out for a hot chocolate and Mm. go for a walk and you know just so that there is someone that's safe to talk to I mean is that a helpful thing to do I think I think it can be I mean I think it can be also a little bit risky I mean I think for example if you um, I mean if you had um if you had a precious godchild who you'd known, you know, since mm. the year dot, and that kid's parents were going through a horrible divorce, and there was such a deep bond of trust between you and your godchild that you could take her out for a hot chocolate and she could really talk to you about both her parents freely without fearing that she was treading on your toes, then yes. But a lot of children will not want to risk doing anything that's going to make things even worse by alienating, you know, their their, their much-loved godmother or godfather by saying the wrong thing about... You know, they don't really know whose side you're on. One of the advantages of children going to see a counsellor, for example, somebody who's just not involved, is that they don't have to worry about that person being on anybody's side because this person doesn't know any of the people involved. And I think really good counsellors or often school counsellors, are able to help children unearth emotional states that they wouldn't dream of voicing anywhere else. Because it's even with a very trusted... And I mean, I, again, we're talking about time, you know, we're talking about stages. Um, so, you know, you might get... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but some way down the line when things have settled and the children know what the score is and they feel reasonably secure, you know, your your, your goddaughter may um, come to you and just say, oh, God, mum is being such a pain, you know, without any fear that anything's going to go wrong because you know that her mum can be a bit of a pain sometimes. So it's she's not going to... She knows that you're not going to over-worry about that. She's just having a little rant and you're a safe pair of ears. It's about stages, really, about what stage the procedure is in. And just before we end, is there sort of one bit of advice or a sort of do or a don't that you feel would be really helpful for parents who are in this situation to sort of bear in mind? Because so much of what you've talked about today, I can see it's absolutely right, but I wouldn't have come to that you know, I wouldn't come to that conclusion on my own. Um, is there something that you see people doing or not doing sort of time and time again that you sort of wish that every parent could know before they mm. go into this stage? Yeah, it is. Uh, there's the one thing that pops up just immediately that you say that, which is just don't force your children into a conflict of loyalties. Um, it's it's just such an unfair thing to do. I think, I mean, the starting point for that really is is remembering that your children have a relationship with their other parent, which is biologically linked. 
it's closer than your relationship with their other parent ever was, actually. And you are the two and only parents that that child will ever have. And to try and get your child to take sides um, against their other parent is to force them to lead a 50% life. And it also forces them to lead two secret lives. So the life that they lead when they're with their other parent, they're never going to talk to you about. And likewise, they're never going to talk about what's happening in one of their homes, in the other home. And, I mean, that's unimaginable when you think about it. The feeling that somehow half of my life is a guilty secret that I must never share with my other parent. I mean, again, there are stages to this because at the beginning of a, of a co-parenting arrangement, it's quite a good idea not to sort of say to your child, so how's it going in mum's home or how's it going in dad's home? Because they might think you're, and you might well be, being a bit prurient and kind of wanting a bit of juicy detail or, you're, you know, it might not be for their benefit necessarily that you're asking. But um, later on down the line, it's hugely valuable for, for, kid, for, kid, for kids if you can say to them, um, you know, oh, I hear you, I hear you went to the, to the movies with dad on Friday night. How was it? He said it was great. How did you enjoy it? That sense that they have a joined up life. Mm. I suppose, too, it's, you know, when, when I can imagine when you split up with someone, you'd be quite happy to hurt that other person. Yes. But I suppose what very, no parents really want to do is hurt their children. But no. often by hurting that other person, they're hurting their children. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think some some parents, and I'm not, you know, I'm not being... I'm not picking on them here because I don't underestimate how difficult it is. I think some parents almost can't help it. Um, and that I would say, you know, they can't help using their children as kind of intermediaries to kind of create hurt. And in those situations, it's where they haven't properly um, detached from the other parent. Um, I see this... I wouldn't say it's in a majority of cases, but in some cases I see parents who, when they were together, their attachment was very problematic. And quite often with people whose attachment was very problematic, their detachment is also very problematic. And so, you know, they can't help, even when they're divorced, sometimes quite a long time afterwards, you know, lobbing grenades over onto the other side and using their children to carry those grenades effectively. It's just horrible to see. And I think the long-term effect on the children's ability to form stable relationships, you know, I don't know what the science, I don't know what the research for that would be, but my guess is it gives them a very jaundiced view of what, you know, adult intimate relationships are about their potential and what presumably helps that is that if the parent that's experiencing these problems has counseling or therapy themselves yeah. they have to know they're experiencing those problems of course actually and it can, be, it can be quite challenging for a parent to be told i think you're still involved with your ex no i'm not i hate you know the very vehemence of the emotion <laughs> proves the point yeah well, Chris, it's been such a joy chatting to you. I know it's a really difficult subject, but you've really made absolute sense of this. And I really hope that this conversation will be really valuable to people listening and not just actually people listening who are experiencing separation or divorce, but, you know, this family, the friends around them so that they can maybe prompt them to take the right decisions, whether it is seeking help or therapy or just maybe asking the right questions like you have done today. So, Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank it's been you. a pleasure. 
And thank you all for listening to another episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review us wherever you've downloaded this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Chris and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.